I think my biggest change of perception has just been, um, as I said, really coming to understand how unusual the experience was with the inheritance cycle. And, um, I don't want to say I've lowered my expectations. Like I don't, but in some ways it's true. It's like, if I write a book like Fractal Noise, I do not expect it to capture lightning in the bottle like Aragon. It's a different type of story. It's not, it's not that type of story. I know there's a readership for it. I, I think people will enjoy it, but, um, the love that people have for the inheritance cycle it continues to astound me and I'm incredibly grateful for it. And it allows me to go write things like fractal noise and, <laughs> and to sleep in a sea of stars and try new things and then still have a, a series in a world I can return to and, and write something that I think um, folks, you know, every all around the world and all the fans are really going to love. What is up, everybody? You're listening to episode 53 of SFF Addicts. I'm your host, Adrian M. Gibson, and welcome to your weekly dive into the world of science fiction, fantasy, and writing craft. Joining me as always is my co-host, the Chewie to my Han Solo, the Joker to my Commander Shepard, MJ Kuhn. How's it going, MJ? Hello, hello. I am fantastic today. How are you, Adrian? Doing very well on this wonderful evening. A quick note for <laughs> listeners, though, the official SFF Addicts Patreon and merch store are live, so check the links in the description to support what we do here. Also, don't forget to rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcast app, and subscribe to the Fanfidic YouTube channel, where this and every other episode of the show is available in full video. You can also pick up a copy of Among Thieves, which is MJ Kuhn's fantastic debut. If you like swearing, if you like thieves and heists, <laughs> this one's for you, so go get yourself a copy. I'll throw a link in the description below. Also, a big shout out to our three amazing new patrons, Gabriella, James McStravick, and Zach Parker. Thank you so much for supporting the show. And now, welcoming today's guest author, Christopher Paolini, author of Aragon, To Sleep in a Sea of Stars, and more. Welcome to the show, Christopher. How's it going? Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you here. And just a quick congratulations. When this episode airs, Fractal Noise will be out. So I just wanted to say congratulations on that and ask how you're feeling about it. Um, I mean, I'm super excited. It's kind of cool to finally have it released since I wrote the first draft back in, I want to say 2013. Wow. Uh, And also, well, yeah, so I wrote that before, uh, to sleep in a sea of stars is sort of a way to intro into, uh, my sci-fi universe. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it wasn't the book that I wanted readers to read first in the fractal verse. So I went ahead and, and wrote and rewrote and rewrote and rewrote <laughs> to sleep in a sea of stars. Um, and then after that was done, I went back on fractal noise and looked at it and tried to figure out if there was enough there that I wanted to polish it up and get it out. Cause it's, uh, this is the part where I'm nervous. Cause it is definitely a little bit of a different book than I've written before. Mm-hmm. And you're you're nodding. Have you read it? Yes, oh, we, both have. Yeah. <laughs> we had the pleasure. Oh, oh, yeah. We we got, was it the, we got it was digital it the, arcs. Yeah, the advanced. Uh, well, yep. My my only caveat with the advanced reading copy is that they did not format the thuds and the asterisks properly in the print version. Oh. They increase increase in size throughout the the book Ooh. until they're oh. rather staggeringly large. 
Oh, I love oh that's that. so cool. Because I noticed <laughs> they did. It was all lowercase, and then it moved to a capital T, and then it moved to yeah, all yeah. caps. Yeah. So I did notice that as the progression went. But yeah, they got cool. some of it, but they yeah. they didn't have the rest of it. That's in the final version. Oh damn! Oh, we got to get that. ourselves physical copies just so we can. <laughs> bask oh, in yeah. that engine <laughs> i need it anyways to but round yeah. out my fractal verse books that are out so far so <laughs> yeah thank you thank you but yeah so i'm curious i'm really curious to know what people are going to think of it because it's a odd strange intense little book yeah it is very intense <laughs> great but way we to will describe get it, it yeah we will get into that but uh just to get started uh if anyone doesn't know who you are uh could you let listeners and viewers know <laughs> a bit more about yourself well, uh, I'm probably, uh, not probably, I am best known for um, my first novel, which is Aragon, uh, and the rest of the novels in the Inheritance Cycle, which were Aragon, Eldest, Brissinger, and Inheritance. Uh, I had a collection of short stories called The Fork, the Witch, and the Worm, which came out uh, beginning of 2019. And not only do I have Fractal Noise coming out this year, uh, May 16th, but on November 7th, I have a new entry into the world of Aragon, and that is called Murtag. And even though it doesn't feature Aragon as the main character, it is a direct line sequel to the Inheritance Cycle and has the character of Murtag, who's sort of like a uh anti-hero reluctant villain bad boy. Um, and now he gets his <laughs> his turn in the spotlight. He's also one of my favorite characters in the series. I'm happy yes, that he gets his same. I'm also I'm so excited. According to some of my podcaster friends, I'm the bad boy of SFF. So Murtag is like right <laughs> up my alley. So. Just identify with him. <laughs> it's like we're just kindred spirits. Oh my God, Adrian. I love that. Oh, that is fantastic. I know, I'm curious, um, Christopher, if you can take us back to your origins of nerddom. Um, do you remember <laughs> <laughs> how you first got into reading specifically sci-fi fantasy when you were young? Like, do you remember the first book or series that caught your heart? Yeah, of course. Um, well, I was homeschooled my whole life and, uh, my, both my parents are huge readers. So there were a lot of sci-fi fantasy books in the house, along with other mm -hmm. books, I should add. And, uh, I, I kind of got... The Hobbit and uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe foisted on me when I was, <laughs> boy, I, don't, I mean, I loved reading up to that point, but I hadn't really gotten into sci-fi fantasy. And I got that foisted on me probably around 10 or 12, maybe 10 or 11. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I kind of got into it. It's like the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe was a very different world than the one I was used to, you know, set in, being, being set in Britain. And uh, I, I enjoyed them, but it's not like I truly, truly fell in love with fantasy quite yet, although I really enjoyed right. The Hobbit. Uh, it wasn't until uh, just a little bit later, and I may have my years wrong here, you know, it's been a long time. I may have actually been a little younger, but uh, I ended up picking up the Ruby Knight by David Eddings, which was oh, uh, cool. the middle book of his Elenium trilogy, trilogy. And I had no idea what it was about. I was in a bookstore with my grandfather, and I saw this hardcover book, and it had a knight in full armor, minus a helmet, with a big spear who was facing off on this uh, humanoid dragon, essentially, on the cover of the book. And all I knew at at you know, eight or nine or 10 was that that was the coolest book I'd ever seen in my life. And that, <laughs> and that if the inside of the book lived up to the cover, this was going to be my favorite book of all time. Yeah, yeah. Now it's not my favorite book of all time, but I just completely opened my eyes to modern fantasy and I just devoured it from then on. 
I'm curious because it's like you picked up book two, which is something that so many people I feel like who grew up in like the 70s, 80s, 90s. Yeah. It's just like, oh, I, I, I came across it in a library or a bookstore or whatever. And you did not realize like, oh, this is like no. five. There was no like, like, Google to check at like the that. time. No. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was get I was getting to the back of the book and I had, you know, I was watching the the pages shrink as right. I was getting toward the back cover and I probably had I don't know, 20 pages left and I suddenly got this weird feeling like they they he can't finish up the story in this in, in 20 more pages. Wait a minute, what's going on? And and I actually jumped to the end of the book and saw that it was said, you know, book 2 of 3 and I was like, "Oh no." Oh, no um, but fortunately the library had the rest of the series and um and then I, I read all of Eddings and then two shelves down from Eddings because I had no idea what to read. And as you said, there was no Google. Um, two shelves down from Eddings was Feist. So I read Magician by Feist and his Feist's whole series. Uh, and then I got into Tad Williams, uh, who I'm actually rereading his Memory and Sorrow and Thorn trilogy right now mm-hmm. uh, in preparation for his latest book, uh, which will be coming out not too long. Uh, and then, of course, Lord of the Rings and... Ursula K. Le Guin and Anne McCaffrey and all the usual suspects from the nineties and all the dragons, <laughs> all, all the, the dragons. dragons. That's right. <laughs> well, speaking of dragons, um, you released Aragon when you were pretty darn young. Uh, and this is like, mm. I am, it's a core memory for me because like I read it and I was obsessed with it and I was like, Oh my gosh, he's a young writer people that are young can write. You know what I mean? It was just like a beautiful realization for me. Um, but I'm just curious about how the younger version of yourself baby thought about the notion. Yeah. Baby Christopher, <laughs> as Adrian has put in the notes, uh, <laughs> took this notion of being a writer. Like, uh, what was your, I'm just curious about how that came about. Did you immediately know you wanted this to be a career? Did you just want it to be an expression of the story that was inside of you? What was the thought from the beginning? I mean, I mean, the exact thing you mentioned about seeing someone else who is also a young writer or who is a young writer and, and taking perhaps some, I don't want to say even inspiration, but just n- taking some comfort from the fact that, you know, it can be done. Uh, that was something I didn't have. I remember very specifically having that doubt in my mind of uh, the fact that it felt like I was trying to do something that no one else had done at my age. Now, of course, as I got older, I learned more and I realized that there are other uh, people who've written very good books at young ages. I'm s- certainly not the first Damn uh, you, and I Claire won't be North. the last. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, but the thing is, is again, pre the internet taking off, I really wasn't exposed to that. And so it was this huge sor- source of yeah. doubt to me, like, am I wasting my time? You know, what's, sh- should I be doing something else with my life? Um, as far as like career and writing and all of that, uh, I was just trying to entertain myself because I wasn't in school. I'd graduated early. I didn't have a job because I didn't drive. Uh, you have to understand I live in a very rural area. The nearest town uh, when I was growing up was 30 minutes away and it was about 6,000 people. So, yeah. I mean, I literally look outside and see mountains that look like Lord of the Rings every day, uh, which is wonderful, <laughs> but yeah. it's very isolating too <laughs> yeah. at times. So, yeah, I just wanted to write a book I would enjoy reading. And I didn't feel like um, a proper author until my third book came out. It took that long before, oh, wow. you know, because first book could be a fluke. Second book is nice, but hey, it could still be a fluke. Three books. Okay, now you can call yourself an author. Yeah, it's like that <laughs> rule, right? I, 
two times it could still be chance. Three is when it's a pattern, right? Is like technically yeah. Yeah. a science yeah. thing, I think. Spoken as a non-STEM person, but... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we talk about math and all that kind of fun stuff on here, right, MJ? Um, Do we? But it's, hell no. I mean, I have had episodes on robot and AI, so, you know, whatever. There you go. Um, but, yeah, on that note of kind of like book three was when you kind of felt, okay, this isn't a fluke anymore. This is actually something. How did it feel yeah. for you kind of going from, you know, the self-pub release of Aragon in 2002 to it being picked up and like traditionally uh, published and all that kind of stuff and the development mm. and, and, and uh, success of the inheritance cycle as it built over the years to follow. Uh, I, I mean, there's a, I've talked about this before. There's, there's always a, sh there's a big shift when you go from treating something as a hobby to a profession, because it was something I was doing for fun, simply mm -hmm. to entertain myself. And thus there was no real pressure on on it, on the process. Uh, so going from that to, Hey, this is paying the bills and Hey, millions of people, cause I was <laughs> that fortunate, but millions of people are going to read what you write and have opinions yeah. about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh yeah. And, and grow up at the same time, you know, try, try to have a, exactly. <laughs> to, a try to try to turn into a functioning, <laughs> yeah, yeah like turn into a functional adult. In 20s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, gosh. So it was, it was a very strange experience and I didn't appreciate the depths of how strange it was until many years later, uh, looking back on, it, I'm like, you know, no, that's not what most writers go through. And that's not mm. what most people ever go through. Um, fortunately I had a family that was very grounded and supportive and that helped through that whole process. Um, nowadays I would say that I really just try to hold on to the joy of the writing as much as possible and really focus on the things I want to write about because I've been doing it for so long that if I don't try, if I don't cling to that, like a, like a drowning man clinging to a raft, the grind of the process will just wear me down and I won't retain any enthusiasm and I'll just want to go do something completely different. Yeah, for sure. Cause it's like going through all of that. It's like, I can imagine even the success of the inheritance cycle was kind of like, is that just you know like a one hit wonder kind of situation like a one series wonder like can i follow yeah. that up with something else that would be able to get some semblance of that readership or find some semblance of that success so you know you mentioned like maintaining the love and the passion for the writing but are there other things that you've experienced now that you can kind of look back on in terms of like wow my publishing experience and my perceptions of the industry today are so much different than what I was aware of back then. I mean, hmm. the industry itself, not so much. I, I'm still working with the same people I started with. I still have the same agent. I still have the same editor, at least for my fantasy novels. Um, That's amazing. A number of the same, Rare. number of the same, <laughs> very, yeah, so, some of the same publicists <laughs> I started with are still at Random House and we're still working wow. together on, on Murtag. Um, there's been a wonderful continuity of talent there, which really speaks to how well, uh, especially the children's division of Random House is run. Yeah. Uh, I think my biggest change of perception has just been, um, as I said, really coming to understand how unusual the experience was with the inheritance cycle. And, um, 
I don't want to say I've lowered my expectations. Like I don't, but in some ways it's true. It's like if I write a book like Fractal Noise, I do not expect it to capture lightning in the bottle like Aragon. It's a different type of story. It's not, it's not that type of story. I know there's a readership for it. I I think people will enjoy it, but um, the love that people have for the inheritance cycle continues to astound me and I'm incredibly grateful for it. And it allows me to go write things like Fractal Noise and, Mm -hmm. And to sleep in a sea of stars and try new things and then still have a, a series in a world I can return to and, and write something that I think um, folks, you know, every all around the world and all the fans are really going to love. Mm-hmm. It's like being able to to maintain a lot of comfort and, and stability with the, the royalties from the inheritance cycle and everything that you've gotten from that. And then, you know, yeah, like you said, like being able to build on that world, but also being able yeah. to experiment with other stuff. Where Innovate like, and, ma- yeah. and play and do the things yeah. that make writing fun, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 Well, and, and you do have to try to do different things or you just don't grow as an artist. Uh, and I right. think uh, people will see that with Murtag, that my time away from fantasy has given me some tools that I wouldn't have developed um, mm. just continuing to work in the world of Aragon. Love it. I want to dive a little more into that, but first I want to just ask a quick question. Cause I think you're giving some really great advice there. And I'm curious, you know, I get questions even from young writers, like people that are in yeah. middle school, high school, right. About, I want to publish my book. I've been writing it. And I'm just curious. I'm sure you get a, a billion <laughs> questions like that. Every time you're around anyone that age, I'm just curious what kind of advice you, you give to those people given your experience and what you you know dealt with even the amazing and the stressful right Mm -hmm. we could talk for an hour on just that topic (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure um i I mean a couple of basic things uh that really do strike me are that you have to write every day or close as close to as as every day as you can do just like if you wanted to get good at uh, at playing an instrument if you wanted to get good at guitar or piano or singing, you have to practice. It's mm-hmm. it's no different with writing. Uh, you need to write about the things you're most passionate about. And I mean the deepest, darkest, brightest, grandest, most private joys and passions you have. Because otherwise, you will burn out over the course of, um, you know, a large project. And also people respond to those passions and those mm-hmm. deep interests and, and it shows in the quality of the work. Uh, and then there's a lot of technical stuff. You know, your biggest disadvantage as a young writer is your lack of experience. And there's no way you can like just leapfrog over that. <laughs> but uh, putting a lot, putting attention into learning the technical aspects of writing is uh, really helpful. Mm-hmm. And that means swallowing your pride and finding people who can help edit your work. Yeah. A big step for me was realizing, and this actually happened, I'd say in the past five years, but, uh, realizing that just because I write a bad sentence or paragraph or chapter or character or storyline, or even an entire bad first draft doesn't make me a bad writer. Mm -hmm. Because if you look at examples of editing that, um, you know, really, really amazing writers have released you know, people who've been working for 30, 40 years and everyone loves their work and they've been enormously successful and they're still ripping their work apart with a red pencil. So just because you write something that doesn't work in the first draft, doesn't make you a bad writer. As long as you're willing to put the work in to improve it and fix 
you know, fix it. So once I realized that it was like a superpower, it's like, it it let me release a lot of the anxieties I had about trying to be perfect the first time around. Mm. Uh, and then lastly would be, would be plot actually constructing a story that works is hard. And and, and I say plot, but that includes character that includes world building. All of Mm -hmm. it's tied together. And I was really, really lucky with the inheritance cycle that my investigations into the art of writing and the history of fantasy, because I got very interested in where does Tad Williams draw his inspiration? Oh, well, now I'm looking at Tolkien. And where does Tolkien draw his inspiration? Well, now I'm looking at Beowulf. Now I'm looking at the Aeneid. Now I'm looking at, you know, the Epic of Gilgamesh. And humans are storytelling animals and we've been working at refining stories for a very long time. And I was really lucky to stumble into the whole concept of the monomyth and Joseph Campbell Mm -hmm. and, you know, all that. And I decided to try and write my own version of the heroic archetypal story. And because of that, it saved my bacon. (laughs) It really saved my bacon because Constructing a a plot completely from scratch without any knowledge or understanding of what humans have already figured out as far as Mm -hmm. storytelling, especially epic storytelling, is hard. Uh, And that's one of the biggest lessons I've learned since finishing The Inheritance Cycle is how hard it is to try to construct a, a plot when you're not necessarily referring to those archetypes. Yeah, it is interesting because I've uh, I've been speaking to uh, Ronnie Vierdi about this because he's super... He's really, really into this, uh, the history of, of storytelling and the history of, you know, things like the hero's journey and the monomyth and, and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's like the humans innately tell stories that are unique to their perspective, but the framework is something that has been, uh, I wouldn't even call it like Reese. Yeah. Like you could call it like recycled over time because the way that it is framed is so uh, it works for the ways that our brains read stories and and capture attention and maintain that attention over a course of time, yeah. and then all the all the different details like world building and all that kind of stuff can be amazing additions to something that we are just innately familiar with and therefore more willing to engage with from the get go. And therefore, we're you know we're going to jump into a story about the hero's journey and and really latch on to it because we we know just just from all the stuff that we've absorbed over the course yeah, of our life framework to yeah. understand the story from um and yeah. then you can appreciate the new details the new fresh take on it right when you when you do enough reading about and thinking about plotting and story building uh you end up almost viewing stories in a very symbolic manner. And mm-hmm. as you were just kind of alluding to the surface details almost stop mattering. I was actually just watching a, a, a video on story structure by the guy who wrote the script for toy story three. And mm-hmm. he also wrote little miss sunshine and the force awakens. And he was explaining how basically the similarities in, of in the ending between the graduate little miss sunshine and I think it was also finding Nemo. Right. And, and you think there's nothing similar between these three (laughs) films. Right. Yeah. Um, but there is on a symbolic D 
deep level, the the a- actions that are happening and what they mean for the characters have similarities. And once you get to that level of, you know, thinking about story, again, it, you can set it anywhere. You could do it in fantasy. Mm-hmm. You can do it in science fiction. You can do it in New York. It, it almost doesn't matter. But if it works in a psychological level for humans. Uh, oh, oh, and the other thing I was going to say, which is because we're so good at telling stories day to day, that's why if anyone is dealing with writer's block or they have a story problem they can't solve, I always recommend go tell it to someone. Go find mm-hmm. someone and tell them the story verbally because you'll know as soon as you hit the part that's not working, you'll know it's not working and you'll probably know why because we're good at telling stories and you're, you're telling the story mm-hmm. to someone and it's like, darn it, that doesn't work. <laughs> uh, it's a great way to get unstuck. Yeah, I I do that. I do that with my son, even though he's two and a half years old. It's like I just talk to him and just kind of like spout this stuff. It's kind of like it's not like an empty soundboard, but it's like no, I just I just want to like bounce these words at you. Verbally get it out. Yeah, 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 exactly. But also tying back to the other thing, it's like the um, I love that. It's like these different movies that it's like how could they ever be compared to each other? But it's like these unconscious psychological triggers in our head that that just work in such a way where it's like like little dopamine hits of familiarity where we're just like oh yeah like that feels good like that feels right you a know? breadcrumb and then it hits, trail to follow yeah, yeah. all these little story. breadcrumb trails yeah. and it's like oh yeah finding nemo it's like you're hitting the right notes right there <laughs> i'm just gonna keep watching <laughs> yeah all right well uh murtog can you uh i mean what first of all like how does it how does it feel to be getting back into the world of Alagasia after so many years, but also to be able to give Murtag his due as like a, you mm. know, a focal point of this story. It feels like returning home and it <laughs> feels um, really satisfying to have written this book about Murtag because he has an entire storyline of his own through the course of the inheritance cycle that we just don't get to yeah. see. Um, and in fact, uh, if, you know, with a television adaptation or something like that, I think we should see his story. And I even debated writing it over the course of the inheritance cycle, but there were certain surprises I wanted Aragon to have that wouldn't have existed if we had seen what Murtag was going through. But in many ways, he's the, he's the flip side to Aragon. You know, he's the dark mirror where Mm -hmm. Aragon had everything. I want, I don't want to say easy, but he had things easier and then Murtag had <laughs> everything go wrong and horribly for him. And, and yet in the end, he still managed to do the right thing in, in a very, very difficult set of circumstances. So writing this book, when I, when I first started it, I was thinking of it as a little, a little bit more, uh, a little less ambitious than it ended up becoming because I was imagining it as a, almost kind of like an Edgar Rice Burroughs style, uh, one-off adventure of yeah. going off and doing something. But then the more I got into it writing, I was like, no, this is the proper opportunity to explore uh, this character's past, his trauma, um, what happened to him over the course of the inheritance cycle and how he's processing that moving forward and having a fun adventure and intense adventure over the course of this book at the same time. And that was actually, uh, most of my revisions have been have been bringing that level of the story even more to prominence uh the him sort of grappling with his past that's awesome and are you planning to expand upon this more with like a continuation of murtag's story or do you think that you will touch upon other characters or other 
uh, you know, <laughs> moments and, and, and things like that within the inheritance cycle? I'm tempted to say no comment, but I think it'll be (laughs) whoever gets the end of Murtag is going to understand, I think, what I'm doing here. Uh, I I don't want to spoil it too much, but I I, I think it's safe to say this is the the first step in many steps I want to take in the world of Aragon. And there is going to be a lot. There are many more books and stories coming, Uh, you know, after finishing the inheritance cycle. I just needed time off. I need time to go Mm. live and be an adult and not be on deadline for the first time in my life. Uh, adult life. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I won't be taking, you know, there, there will be no, no more long gaps between the books anymore. I'm back on the schedule I was at with inheritance cycle and feeling good about it. Awesome. So, I mean, I've actually doubled the number of books I've written in the past five years, four years. Wow. So I went from four Easy. books and <laughs> by the time Murtag comes out, I will be at eight books. Yeah. That's so cool, though. I Damn. love that. That's <laughs> more books that we can get. I'm happy. Also, if I could put a vote in, because I'm sure that it matters <laughs> for an Angela the Herbalist prequel or anything. Um, I'm just. It, it's already. Head. It's already plotted. It's already plotted. There I even are, have Jay. the title. Oh my gosh! I even have the title. I can't tell you the title, but I, said, I have I'm the sure title. I'm sure you can't tell me, but Off just knowing Off that it's air, that man. concrete makes my soul happy. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the pro- the problem is, is I have I have too many story ideas and not enough time to write them. So I'm I'm yeah. tapping as fast as I can. Excellent, it's coming, MJ. Yeah. It's coming. <laughs> yes. Well, speaking of all the story ideas you have, because you're you know you're you're covering several or multiple worlds at this point. Um, I'm mm. curious what inspired you to dive into um not just science fiction but like pretty intense science fiction um after spending so long in fantasy because it wasn't fantasy <laughs> i needed a break from fantasy um i wanted to write something where i could use my natural everyday vocabulary right which i hadn't been able to do in my writing yeah. and i love science fiction i i read as much sci-fi as fantasy growing up and as much as, i know there are exceptions sanderson and i have 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 had a discussion about this i know there are exceptions but in many ways fantasy is a nostalgic backward looking genre mm-hmm. and sci-fi is often a forward looking optimistic well and pessimistic genre <laughs> uh but i love thinking about the future that i very much hope humans are going to have out among the stars. Yeah. And since, you know, we all have limited time on this earth and we're probably not going to be, um, planet hopping ourselves. Um, although some of us may get to do that, uh, if, if SpaceX pulls it off, <laughs> um, I love being able to write about that. And that was a lot of fun. And I tried to apply, you know, everything I'd learned about world building from the inheritance cycle to my fractal verse. That's what I call it. Yeah. Um, uh, but with even more rigor and uh, a lot more research and yeah. It, and, and, and what I like about it is it gives me a setting that I can write any story that I is not fantasy can go in the fractal verse. So if mm-hmm. I write a present day story, if I write a far future story, it's all in the fractal verse, unless there's a dragon, in which case it's probably <laughs> in the world of Aragon. You could, you, you, you could, you I like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You could mix them up. It's like, you know, have a little fun here and there. But space dragon. I think it, I'm into yeah. it. I would read about a space dragon for the record. <laughs> <laughs> I would too. But for you, it's like you you mentioned like the research and the rigor that kind of went into the 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 fractal verse. Using everything mm. you'd learned from the inheritance cycle, 
But how was it that you approached like the creation and the foundations of the Fractalverse? And like, what was it in your mind where you're like, you know, I want to write sci-fi, but mm. I'm also going to write like an interconnected universe. So. <laughs> well, the first thing was to figure out what was possible in the universe. Uh, yeah. it's, it's the same thing with fantasy. If you're, if you're creating a fantasy world, even if you already have your story, your basic story idea, you need to know what is physically possible in mm -hmm. your setting. So for me with the fractal verse, that meant, um, trying to decide on the level of technology I was looking for. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, I wanted faster than light travel because I wanted to have my characters visiting different star systems within a reasonable amount of time. But I didn't want to use any sort of FTL system that had been used by some other franchise um, or that, and this was, this was the real kicker or that contradicted physics as we knew it, mm. as we know it, because the fractal verse is supposed to include the real world. Yeah. So I, I mean, I literally spent a solid year of, Wow. reading everything I could get my hands on, on, you know, uh, what would be required to physically live out in space, the technologies that might develop. And then again, on the science of various types of FTL. And it was horrible because every time I thought I found something, uh, it would, it would come down to a line that would say, but of course, Einstein says this doesn't work. <laughs> it was always Einstein. It always came back to Einstein. Einstein. Every single <laughs> line of research. And then, but Einstein says it doesn't work. So, ah, uh, God. Like, um, again. <laughs> but, but, but I did end up finding a guy uh, who is a nuclear engineer researcher. He's working on like nuclear rockets for NASA. Wow. And in his spare time, he uh, moonlights with experimental physics, theoretical physics, I should say. And he and a couple other guys have come up with this sort of interesting, they call it the tri-space theory. And he was very kind enough to spend many hours on the phone with me mm -hmm. explaining wow. the intricacies. And then I use that as the basis for the physics in my future. And it, it allows for a system of faster than light travel that right. has some superficial similarities with things we've seen in other franchises but the details of it are really kind of weird and different and mm -hmm. that's something i'm hoping to explore more and more in future stories but i also try not to dump all that on the reader so if yeah. anyone's watching this going i don't want to read to sleep yeah, in the yeah, sea no. of stars i don't want a <laughs> physics textbook no no the physics textbook is in the back of the book it's in the appendices uh, appendix yeah. um it's also like it's so, also like yeah. the 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 lattice that that makes the framework for which this story can build upon but yeah. the rest is like there's a lot of action it's space opera it's fucking awesome oh yeah i was say i <laughs> listeners know i'm not a i'm not a science person i like sci-fi but hard sci-fi like sometimes is hard for me and i have had no issue like it's it's very yeah. readable like it yeah it's thank you yeah that was great. an interesting <laughs> challenge too because uh you know with with fantasy there's a little bit of there's a lot of wiggle room in terms of what characters and basically living creatures can do it's like yeah, yeah. you need to get a little from point a to point b a little faster well they ran a little faster or they they spurred the horses on a little faster right yeah. there's there's a lot of wiggle room with with machines there's really not that much wiggle no. room so uh that imposed some really strict uh well, restrictions on like the travel times and things like that. And, yeah. uh, it was an interesting thing to work with. But that's also why fiction is awesome. Cause you can be like, all right, cryo sleep, end of chapter. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah, you can. <laughs> and, and 
you know the things that the things that do restrict you i found are often where you get the most interesting ideas yeah. uh, there's a temptation to hand wave it because it's interfering with the story you want to tell and ultimately yes tell the story you want to tell but uh, always hand waving the things that uh, get in the way leads to very generic solutions oh the other the other thing with time travel excuse me with with faster than light travel i was trying to avoid was time travel because mm -hmm. supposedly if you go faster than light you're traveling backward in time or you yeah. can travel backward in time and i didn't want that so finding a way to avoid that was also a real head scratcher yeah it's like a time dilation and all that mess just making <laughs> things really oh <laughs> uh, it's it, it man time travel FTL's bad enough time travel just you can just start start you start with a migraine and it just gets worse. Yeah. <laughs> start with uh, a migraine. Like, it's like to sleep in a sea of stars is already like 800 pages. It's like we don't need any more <laughs> any more issues. Well, the thing is though, over the course of of solving the FTL, I I solved time travel within the strictures of my universe that okay. I've created. So, um I have to write a story about it because I, I'm I'm in love with this solution and it solves all the paradoxes. There are no paradoxes in my time travel. Beautiful. Oh my gosh. And that's yeah. why the yeah. fractal verse works. To write it because I need to yeah. read it. <laughs> yeah, I fixed I fixed all the problems with time travel. <laughs> for your for your fictional universe and for the universe as a whole. Yes. I was going to say, yes. and maybe yes. for us though. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, we'll see. <laughs> Take that, Einstein. Only Suck time it. will tell. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm curious, I know you mentioned briefly earlier that um, Fractal Noise was actually the first book that you had written or drafted out in the Fractalverse. Mm -hmm. um, I am curious to just dig a little more into um, the process behind why To Sleep in a Sea of Stars ended up being the story you wanted to tell first uh, in the Fractalverse and how writing that behemoth of <laughs> a sci-fi project, um, kind of how that process went for you. <laughs> Well, if you want the brutal, honest answer, it's because To Sleep in the Sea of Stars is a lot more optimistic and cheery and more of the type of epic I'm known for writing. And I, I hasten to caution viewers and listeners that Fractal Noise is not necessarily a depressing novel. It's just different than I've normally yeah. written. Um, and the very first version I wrote was quite a bit darker than the current version. So oh, really? I, looked at the, I looked at that version and that's what I was basing my judgment off. It was like, it was like, okay, this is not what I want my first entry into the fractal verse to be. I'm going to put it on shelf and um, write to sleep. Nice. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll switch to fractal noise, even though you know, I, I've really, we, really we can't spoil it too much. No, 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 right? No, 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 no. But I know we got to we'll, dance around. <laughs> <laughs> we'll dance around them, but um, I just wanted to get your take on like how you went from, okay, so you wrote Fractal Noise first, and then you wrote To Sleep in a Sea of Stars, which is mm. almost three times as long as Fractal Noise. Actually, the first draft of Fractal Noise was only like 42,000 words long, wow. 44,000 okay. words long. The, the current version is more like 82,000 right. words long, so it basically doubled, and To Sleep in a Sea of Stars is 308,000 words yeah, long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that so, all? <laughs> that's just that. But for I'm I'm curious, like for you, it's like writing Fractal Noise first, then going to sleep in a, to sleep in a sea of stars, and then coming back to Fractal Noise. How was it to kind of refine Fractal Noise again after having written to sleep and 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 embedding yourself in the world in that 
that kind of uh, more optimistic light and, and with all the aliens and amazing fun stuff that goes on there. And then coming yeah. back to fractal noise and, and, and thinking like, okay, how do I make this work in a way that I can follow up to sleep and it fits into the universe? Maybe it's not as dark as the original draft and, and all that fun stuff. <laughs> um, I mean, there, one thing I liked was that uh, the world building was a lot more solid after having written to sleep. I had yeah. a much better understanding of the universe. So that helped in the revisions for Fractal Noise. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a relief, despite the intensity of Fractal Noise, it was a relief to write something so much shorter. Yeah. Uh, I remember when I was editing To Sleep in a Sea of Stars and, you know, I I put in a you know good chunk of work, days and days of editing, got maybe 360 pages done. I'm not even halfway through the book. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I get to 400 pages. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm still getting uh, I'm almost <laughs> to the halfway, halfway. mark. <laughs> you know. I get to 600 pages and I still have like another 300 to go. Uh, I still have another it's, whole it's, book left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's physically um exhausting mentally exhausting to focus for that at least for me to focus for that many pages and for that many those that many years on one project Mm -hmm. so it was it was nice and to go to fractal noise which is something i can i can handle mentally sort of in one big gulp uh in a lot a lot easier um and it's it's more of a character study and um i i enjoyed that as well yeah well on the on the on the topic of of characters, you know, your books consistently have some really, really vivid characters, you know, characters that people get really attached to, which is why, like, I'm so excited that you're going back to Murtag, which is like, cool. He's a character that I loved. And now I get to, like you had explained before, we get to see some of the things that influenced his journey and how he became who he is and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, we'll just, we'll just touch on this, this notion of characters and how you kind of approach crafting a character that feels believable within your universe, but also believable for readers and and the kind of characters that people can get attached to. Boy, um, that's a tough one. We come in with the zinger. I mean, some, so, 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 you know, look, sometimes characters, sometimes characters are just easy and, and there's no way to explain that. It's like, there's an easy, um, a clear picture of them right from the very beginning and writing them is subsequently no big deal. Um, and other times you have to fight, I have to fight claw and na- tooth and nail to get a clear sense of who this person is. So sometimes it's easier with a side character where you, they don't play a huge plot role necessarily. So you can just kind of let loose, um, which mm-hmm. is how you end up with side characters sometimes who are more interesting than your main character. Uh, I've been guilty of that <laughs> once or twice. Um, I think, I think the main thing is, is really just trying to get a, a, a clear idea of what this parrot character wants and what's stopping them from getting that and how that ties into the theme of the main story, you know, the, the, the philosophical argument that you are interrogating mm-hmm. through the course of your story should be reflected in variations and permutations among the side stories 
going around your main character. And that allows for yeah. some very interesting characters. And then you can allow yourself to just some eccentricity with those characters. Um, I read a lot of Dickens growing up, so I'm sometimes drawn toward the more grotesque and picturesque uh, mm-hmm. types of characters. Oh, now, I'm great. curious of all your characters, just kind of a fun question. Which of all mm. of the characters you've created across all your projects would you most and least like to hang out with in real life? <laughs> oh, boy. Um, <laughs> okay, most would be Grigorovich from To Sleep in the Sea of Stars because uh, yeah. he's half insane, and I know he and I would just have a wonderful conversation. Um, you could have, like, endless least, conversations with, like, a ship mind. It would be amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, the problem is, is he would immediately realize he's a fictional character and hate me for it. So oh, no. <laughs> um, the least, the character I'd least like to talk to, I mean, that's that's tough. I mean, I like all of my characters in one way or another. Um if I go back to the inheritance cycle, there's uh, the villain Durza. Uh, I don't think he would want to talk with me. And <laughs> thus, I don't think we, I don't think we would have a very interesting conversation. It's like, he wouldn't want to hang out with me. So why would I want to hang out with him? Right. right? Yeah, exactly. 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 <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> awesome. Um, to touch on fractal noise, just for a moment, there's uh, something really cool in the afterward. Uh, MJ pointed this out to me. You talk a lot about the impact of dreams and two nightmares mm. in particular and the impact that they have had on your projects. Can you talk a little bit more about the dream that inspired fractal noise? Cause I think this is a really cool for anyone who reads the book, like please go into the afterward and read that little tidbit. Cause it's really fascinating. Thank you. Well, I, I always try to, um, with my afterwards, um, give readers a little window into how life's been treating me and what it took mm-hmm. to produce a current that, that particular novel. Uh, yeah, I was working on the first draft of inheritance. So this would have been 2000. Jeez. I mean, it actually was the year inheritance was published. So 2011 and I had a really weird night of dreams and uh, sort of the first half, first set of the dreams were, I guess you could say more fantasy esque. Uh, mm-hmm. So I was, dreaming about all these weird creatures in the forest. And uh, that's where some of the weird creatures in inheritance came from, specifically the burrow grubs, shadow birds, angler frog, all of those came from that dream. <laughs> um, and then later in the night, I, the, the, the dreams changed and I had this image of this desolate alien, rocky planet with this giant hole on it, you know, like 50 kilometers across. And it was, vibrating you know emitting this pulse and they're on the plane heading toward uh, the hole to investigate it was a small group of probably just three people and there was an incredible emotion attached with the image i mean you know how that is with with dreams where you just feel something and it's inexplicable but yet Mm. it's profound at the same time and that's how it was in that dream that i just understood the situation for these characters and understood the depth of the feeling. And of course, as soon as I woke up, I wrote down uh, a couple of notes on all all of these dreams. And that was the basis for Fractal Noise. And I thought it was going to be a short story, but it turned into a novel. And um, (laughs) And now an expanded universe. (laughs) Now an expanded universe. (laughs) So cool. Yeah, I love the the power of dreams because it's so... I think as we get wrapped up in our daily lives, it's kind of um, easy to let go of the fact that, that every night we go to sleep and we dream about 
things that are crazy hallucinate. and hallucinations. Yeah. Hallucinate exactly, wildly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and and some people well, don't the remember thing their is, dreams, is, and other people do. But the fact that 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 yeah. this happens every night it, in and of itself is just like brilliant function of the brain and its its biology. And it's yeah. yeah. And what every story needs, at least for me to be able to write a story, is a core emotion, image. A spark of something that that everything else can hang on you know with the inheritance cycle it was aragon finding this dragon egg and his friendship with that dragon mm. everything else is just there to support that core piece of the puzzle um with to sleep in a sea of stars it was uh the very final image of the book uh the very final paragraph uh and also kira finding this alien artifact um but ultimately it was all to support the final image of the book um and with fractal noise it was this uh what i would this dream and then basically building a story to support that image you know because that's the thing you know an idea an inciting incident is not a story Mm -hmm. but you can't build a story unless you have that image or feeling or inciting incident yeah. Right. And the emotions to go along with it. Yeah. I think the emotion is yeah. really, is a really big thing. Yeah. Well, and, and so something else, uh, with fractal noise, I got, had fun doing, I don't know if it was in the ARCs you had, but, uh, I also got to paint, uh, what was it six images for it, five images for it. Um, so there's a, there's a map and then there's a image for each of the different sections of the book. Yeah. The, <gasps> the version that I have, it's like the image is separated. Unfortunately, it's not like one. Oh, when I had a big blank white page in between each really? section. Oh, so, yeah. Mine, mine, so, mine was like I mean, mine was like more six to look pages. forward to yeah. with my official edition <laughs> that I'll get. Yeah. Mine was like six pages with like fragments. So I was like, oh, like, it's like a together. puzzle. Like, you what, could print yeah, it out. It was- <laughs> <laughs> Put it together. It's an activity in the arc. <laughs> exactly. Well. Viewers then can at least know that there's some art in the book. I, I like That's illustrated so cool. books, so I'm in, there's art I've been doing that there's for a, my book. There's some cool art in To Sleep in the Sea of Stars as well. So. Yeah. 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 And the um, it's funny you mentioned Commander Shepard in your introduction, um, but I have, to, <laughs> I have to brag here for a second, but uh, I actually have Commander Shepard herself, Fem yeah. Shep herself, Jennifer Hale, uh, read both the audiobook for To Sleep and she's reading the audiobook for Fractal Noise. And uh, I have an awesome fan by the name of Malta who composed some music for it. And Tor has done so some cool. amazing audio effects. I mean, I actually think Fractal Noise may be better as an audio book than as a t- textbook. They have done yeah. such an amazing job. With the, uh, there's music for each of the sections of the book. Oh, and the uh, they've done sound effects. Oh, yeah, it's dude. it's amazing. Oh, That's amazing. So cool. I love a good audio book. I might have to get all the versions yeah. of this one. <laughs> I mean, it's, I, it's Commander Shepard reading my science fiction book. What, what right? is, what is to not like? That's peak. It doesn't get better than that. It really just doesn't legitimately. And not only <laughs> that, to, to Sleep in a Sea of Stars is the first audiobook that Jennifer's ever read. I didn't know wow. that she did it. I don't have the audio for To Sleep, but now I probably need to get it. Uh, I didn't yeah. know well, that see, she did audiobooks. <laughs> She did some uh, supplemental voice work for the Aragon video game back in the day. She actually did some voice work for the Dragon Sephira, uncredited. Mm -hmm. And I found out when I was uh, doing the uh, conventions, the Supernova convention in Australia um, in 2011, and she was there also. And uh, I got to interview her, and I said, well, you know, we should – we should work together someday if we ever get a chance. And she said, yeah, that sounds great. And of course, in this industry, especially the entertainment industry, people say that all the time and then nothing ever happens, right? <laughs> right, right. And then, so to, in 2020, I just, I, I sent her a DM on, on Twitter 
and I said, hey, you know, I don't know if you remember me, but <laughs> I got this book and I, I think you'd be great to read it. Would you be interested in it? And she said yes. So worked out. That's so oh, cool. That's perfect. Well, she has tons of experience in VO and like her work on Mass Effect is incredible. It's so good. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah. yeah. So. No, that's, that's I always brilliant. tell people, she you gotta play as Fem Shep because the voiceover work absolutely. is just so good. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. No offense yeah, to Yeah, no, she show. literally has the, yeah. the Guinness World Record for like most number of voice uh jobs uh for, oh, like for any actress. Credits, I guess I think voice acting that. credits, yeah. Yeah. Damn. Actually, I think she she has the I think it's male or female. It's just, she's got the the record. Well, you know what you gotta do. Of course. <laughs> you gotta you gotta get her a cameo. On the Aragon TV series. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Speaking of adaptations, um, are there any updates on the Disney Plus TV series adaptation for Aragon? Uh, alas, alas, we are stalled at the moment oh. because uh, ho- Hollywood is stalled at the moment. <laughs> um, the, the Screenwriters Guild, the WGA, is about to strike. Um, oh, okay. They're probably going to strike in May 2nd. Oh, and okay. Uh, everything's basically on hold until that happens. Uh, so Disney, Disney and I, we were looking for the the showrunner for the show who would be right. collaborating with me on actually uh, writing the show, breaking the show, which means, you know, breaking out the plot for the seasons. Um, mm-hmm. And we can't move forward with the show until we have the showrunner. Everything yeah. hinges yeah. on that. And a lot of that is, and it's difficult because you need the right person. And sometimes the right people are tied up with contracts elsewhere mm-hmm. yeah. or they're not interested in the project or, you know, there's a lot of things that go into this. So uh, the strike has to happen or probably will happen. And then once that resolves, um, lots of people are going to be free agents in Hollywood and we will reevaluate at that point and hopefully get this moving forward because Disney wants to move it forward. I want to move it forward, but Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's development and development takes time. Well, you got to wait for the right. It's kind of like a, I mean, like maybe a silly comparison, but like, I'm, I never am mad when the next Zelda game takes longer than maybe I feel like I want it to, <laughs> because I know that if they're taking their time, we're going to get Breath of the Wild. Right. So, True. you know, you just gotta, you can be patient. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm impatient, but I, I am absolutely, <laughs> I am dead set against saying yes to the wrong person. Because yeah. been there, done that. Don't 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 want to do that again. It's fair. A certain <laughs> film will go un, unmentioned, but <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, to close out, uh, I'd like to ask you for two things. If you could give listeners mm. and viewers a a good bit of soundbite writing advice, and b, I know you got some good weird or random facts. So tell us a weird or random fact that you find to be utterly fascinating. Ooh, um, let's see. Pithy writing advice. I feel like I've already given some pithy writing <laughs> you advice. You give us some great writing advice. Yeah. Uh, let me see. Um, take every bit of writing advice with a large grain of salt, because what works for one person may not necessarily work for another person. As an example, people will tell you to avoid the passive voice and avoid adverbs. And I dare you to go find a great book that's written without adverbs. And nobody walks around saying, my mother gave birth to me on the 4th of July. We say, I was born on the 4th of July, which is passive tense and is appropriate in the context Mm -hmm. and usage. So um, take take the writing advice with a grain of salt. Try not to stress too much. Don't let your insecurities get the better of you. Um, You know, find a reason to write that overcomes the insecurities, whether that's 
your love for the story, um, your realization that our time on earth is limited. And if you don't write it now, it ain't going to happen. Um, your need to put food on the table or whatever the case may be. Um, find, find your why and that will sustain you. As far as random facts, uh, I mean, good grief. Did you know that the elephant is the only mammal that can't jump? Really? Oh, so I'm told. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's they good so for the much. earth because that would be a big impact if an elephant were to jump and land. I feel like <laughs> it's just elephants, just giant. But the weird, the weird thing is, is even whales can jump, but apparently not an elephant. Yeah. <laughs> Poor elephants. And random fact that out. that um, uh, bison, American bison, uh, can jump an extraordinarily high height. You wouldn't think looking at that. I think they can jump something yeah. like a nine foot fence. Oh Usually they have to have like twelve foot fences to keep them in. They're nimble like cats. They're nimble. <laughs> Those nimble bison. <laughs> Those nimble bison. Um, How oh, did you oh, and, I do have to, and I do have to mention, too, that on November 7th, along with Murtag, we are also releasing an illustrated edition of Aragon, Ooh. which is an oversized book with two columns of text in it. It's the original text of the book, of course. Nice. And it is has over 50 full color paintings and drawings by um this amazing artist by the name of Siddharth. I was just looking at the color comps uh day before yesterday and this book looks absolutely stunning. So um if anyone wants to treat themselves or get a present for someone younger in their life, uh this is this is the edition to get. Oh wow. Yeah. Amazing. I since I since I moved to South America, it's like I don't have any copies of Aragon, but I want to start like I'm starting to pick my my series to read with him with my son. So I'm like, I'm gonna get you Aragon at some point. I'm gonna get that edition. That sounds. Oh fantastic. yeah, that's a great one. That's what I was just thinking an <laughs> illustrated version. I got two young nieces. That could be. Ooh, that could be yeah. a cool little gift from Aunt Mal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wine aunt coming through in the clutch. <laughs> wine aunt coming in with the good gift. <laughs> oh, brilliant! All right, well, Christopher, it was an honor, and we appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Uh, if you could please let folks know where they can find you on social media. Uh, absolute pleasure, and thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, I am on Twitter. Uh, I think I'm just at Paulini. Uh, Instagram, it's Christopher underscore Paulini. And of course, uh, my website, paulini.net, is the place for all the news about me personally. And if you want some news about the Fractalverse, well, it's fractalverse.net. And there's actually a ton of uh, free concept art that I've commissioned, mm -hmm. uh, Hollywood concept art for To Sleep in the Sea of Stars and um, Fractalverse, uh, excuse me, Fractal Noise. Uh, and there's even a free interactive novel novella called unity that you can explore on fractalverse.net so lots of fun stuff excellent cool. damn i'm gonna go check that out all right well uh you can also follow sff addicts on instagram and twitter at sff addicts pod or you can follow me at adrian m gibson mj what about you yeah you can find me across all the main socials uh so twitter instagram tiktok at mj coon books all one word and then just mjcoon.com and go pick up among thieves because it's awesome <laughs> And uh, that's it for this week. Stay tuned next week for part two with Christopher to hear our mini masterclass on aliens and first contact, which I'm very, very excited about. But for now, keep reading, keep imagining, and we'll see you next time on SFF Addicts. <laughs>